When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football Social Daily. With German Doner Kebab. Now 40 restaurants across the UK. Find out where at GermanDonnerKebab.com. Hello and welcome to Tuesday's edition of Football Social Daily. I'm your host, Marley Anderson, and we've got plenty to talk about today because there's actually football on this week. It's a good old-fashioned football every night of the bloody week yes. time type of thing. We've got last night's game, which is West Ham versus Liverpool, which we'll come on to in a minute. We've also got a preview to tonight's games. We've got Chelsea versus Bayern in the Champions League, which should be a bit of a mouth-watering clash. And we've also got some other little tidbits to, uh, to keep you keep you hungry on this fine pancake day which is Tuesday 25th of February. Let me start off the podcast with a bit of controversy. Oh here we oh hang on I think I might agree with you go I on. Don't like pancakes. Ah same. I think they're rubbish they're just like all slimy and greasy yeah. and grim it's a waste of a good Yorkshire pudding making a pancake. <laughs> what do you think Niall? <laughs> I genuinely am indifferent to pancakes. Like, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> oh. craving. I'm not craving pancakes tonight. You know, everyone's going to be posting it on their Instagram and Twitter. Oh, look oh, at my yeah. pancakes mm. with Nutella and lemon and yeah. sugar. Not I'm not going to be not going. Bothered. I'm not going to be going to the shop and buying eggs and sugar and batter and all of that stuff. That's Although I do good. make a mean pancake, and my tip is for making a really good pancake is you heat the pan up really hot first before you put any batter in. Load of oil right in the pancake, right in the pan. Then when it gets really hot. You empty the oil out and then put the pancake in. Okay, well, if anyone burns wow. their house down today after listening to this podcast, we can blame Jim. There and also, yeah. I'm just spun out by the fact that you've just said you don't like pancakes, yet you've given a recipe for how yeah, to make me pancakes. Who have you been making them for? Pancakes are terrible. I'm, I'm making for my wife and my child. Oh. I'm, 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 an, I'm a really good pancake maker. A providing father. Better because I don't eat them. I can just churn them out. <laughs> what a wonderful, what a great man you are, Jim. Yeah. What a great I'm man a role model are. for a generation. <laughs> well, right, are we done? Is that the podcast over? That's it, yeah. <laughs> Right, that's the pancake chat done, but one game which got flipped on it. So, did you see what I did there? Nice. Flipped on the head. Nice. Hey, it was crap, but loads of those go with it. There. There's plenty coming. Uh, have we got a pancake bell? There's a, <laughs> there's a bell under right. the deck. That's the cliche bell. Normally the cliche bell because it's pancake day. Every time there's a pun, I'm going to pancake pun it. Oh, okay. it's good. So, it's now the pancake presser. 
<laughs> and uh, yeah, so game last night was flipped on its head, Jim, wasn't it? Who's Jim's obviously, as regular listeners will know, is a West Ham fan. He's actually quite... He's not as miserable as he normally is this uh, the day after the West Ham get battered because you've actually battered. Ding! <laughs> didn't even realise you did that one. I didn't. Um, they were actually all right last night, weren't they? They actually it went for it. It was a sweet and sour performance. Uh, <laughs> I've never had a sour pancake. I'm not having that. Lemon. Lemon. Yeah. Sour. No, if Lemon you notice, he got the he got the bell for sweet. And not sour. Okay, okay. So there you go. We'll, we'll no, I mean, it. it could have been a lot worse for West Ham. I think, I mean, that kind of it tells you where we are in terms of a football club at the moment, in terms of it could have been a lot worse. Because having seen West Ham play against Manchester City in one of the most depressing yeah. performances I've ever seen, yeah. as a football fan, that alone a West Ham fan, seeing them actually go to Liverpool and put in a bit of a performance and whether it was to do with the players wanting to get something from the game more, whether it was to do with the way David Moyes set up, I'm not quite sure which way it goes. The tactical genius that is David yeah, Moyes. But it was a better performance and actually the one thing I take away from seeing last night is the players could be a little bit more confident going into the next few games where we do need to get points. If it had been a 3-0 or a 4-0 or a 5-0 last night, that could have been a real body blow that could have just done us for the season. But actually, there was a glimmer of hope in there, I think. Mm. Well, we were saying on yesterday's podcast, weren't we, Niall, about yeah. how West Ham haven't got that much to lose in terms of no. league position. It's a bit of a free hit, and mm. they treated it, they seem to treat it like that way. Yeah, and even if they drew the game last night, they still would have ended up um, level on points with Aston Villa and probably behind them on goal difference as well. Mm. You know, if it had ended a 3-3 draw or even a 2-2 draw, it still would have been... Um, sort of as you were really in terms of the league table uh, so yeah West Ham didn't really have a lot to lose to be fair and I thought it was encouraging to see that they did actually score a couple of goals and I don't want to sound patronising towards West Ham um, but for now has found a little pocket of space got the better of yeah. Van Dyke. it was a good ball into the box from Rice and swept it into the good corner missed it yeah but it kind of did him a favour didn't it sort of yeah. swept it into the ground first time finish with the ball coming towards you and the goal sort of at an angle mm. maybe 45 degrees over your shoulder it's a difficult finish with the ball coming in and to try and sort of hook it round get it beyond Allison. Um, it was a sort of a tale of goalkeeping mistakes, I thought. Yeah, I was, um, uh, was going to come on to that, yeah. Yeah, but I mean... We'll, Three yeah. of them were. Well, yeah, I'll ask Jim about Fabianski in a bit, but I just felt that, you know, we said yesterday, you'd rather lose 3-2. I think I even said I'd rather lose 3-2 than get smashed 4-0 trying to go for it. And at least if you score a couple of goals, it can give you a bit of confidence. Even though that would have kind of knocked the stuffing out of them to concede late. We've seen Liverpool do that so many times. And to lose 3-2 it gives them something to cling on to, to know that if they can score against probably the best team in, well, they are the best team in Europe right now, uh, and against a solid defence, which mm. contains a, a world-class goalkeeper, um, you know, someone who came very close to winning the Ballon d'Or this year in, in the form of Virgil van Dijk, then if they can't take confidence from that, scoring against Liverpool's defence, then surely it's going to be tough for them moving forward. So you think that that will give them at least a little bit to grab onto in terms of positives out of the game. Credit where it's due for David Moyes. And I'm very reluctant to give David Moyes credit at the moment because I think he's a terrible appointment or has proving to be a terrible appointment. But he did set up pretty well, I think. I think he learned from the Manchester City game and we were still disciplined, we were still organised, there were still numbers behind the ball. But he identified that in the Man City game, every time pressure was released, it was coming straight back on because we only had Antonio up front. By playing Antonio and Anderson and Snodgrass all as a potential counter-attacking 
outlet for West Ham. It allowed the pressure to be alleviated and did create those goal threats as well. And you look at the number of corners the West Ham won in that game. It shows that there was pressure being put on the Liverpool goal. But on the other flip side of that, I look at David Moyes' game... Flip! (laughs) I look at David Moyes' game management and the substitutions he made that I think ultimately cost us a point in that game. I mean, when West Ham were 2-1 up, anyone who didn't think Liverpool were going to win that 3-2 hasn't watched football this season, basically. But I think he could have done more to potentially get a point out of that game. I think bringing off Suchek, who was by far and away the most... He's been very good, hasn't he, since, yeah. he, since he arrived? Proper he's proper box to box straight in. in he's, first... he's done his job, hasn't he? Which has yeah. kind of proved that the other West Ham players haven't been putting their weight because, you'd le- you know, if that's just what he does, um, well, it got... kind of demonstrates how everyone else has yeah. kind of been falling by the wayside. Well, he's got legs, which Mark Noble, as much as he's Mr West Ham, does not have legs anymore. But Han- Anderson had a terrible first half and he was left on. Um, Haller then came on for Anderson and we lost all that counter-attacking Ability. I mean, Haller, as much as I think there is a good player in there, that's not the type of he's game he's going to attack. No, he's it just he's meant, a target man. Isn't yeah, he? and every time the to. ball was getting to him, it was coming back to us and the pressure was coming back on. So I think David Moyes needs to look at how he manages those game scenarios better yeah. if he's going to improve in those areas. Would you like to see West Ham counter-attacking more? Because I've got West Ham stats here. One counter-attacking goal this season, which counts for 3% of the entire you know, goal tally for West Ham United. So you haven't counter-attacked really at all this season or at least made them effective. However, you've scored nine set-piece goals. Mm. So maybe is it a case of David Moyes putting more eggs in the set-piece basket and trying to score more goals that way rather than trying to use the the players that West Ham have got in Antonio and Lanzini and Anderson who aren't really getting a look in in the last couple of games under Moyes, it has to be said, than than going for that counter-attacking style? I think it's to do with personnel. And I think West Ham would set up in a counter-attacking way if they had the players to do that. Anderson's been injured for the last few weeks, which is why he's not featured heavily. Antonio is always injured because yeah. his knees are made of glass. And other than that, there isn't really much pace in that West Ham side. Yeah. So w- the ability to play counter-attacking football has been limited. You think mm-hmm. Bowen provides that alternative, but there's this inexplicable reluctance for Does David Moyes to play Bowen at the moment. I'm not entirely sure what it is. So I think it's completely completely um, influenced by the personnel that have been available. So, yeah, it 100% should be the way the West Ham have been setting up against those top six times, but they haven't been able to do that. But we interesting to see how that changes. Now Anderson's back, now Antonio appears fit, now Bowen's in the team. But when you look at what we did have in midfield, Snodgrass isn't a counter-attacking player. Mark Noble's not a counter-attacking player. Lanzini, for all the talent he has, although he hasn't shown it for the last 18 months, is not a pacey player. He has ability, but he's not a pacey player. So, so yeah, it's just to do with the players that are available, I think. Niall mentioned before about the, the goalkeeping. Even Alisson made a mistake. So Fabianski's first one, he gets a hand to Wijnaldum's header. Uh, Alisson then makes a bit of a... He, he, same thing, he gets a hand to Diop's header. And then, obviously, there's the absolute... I mean, we should be calling him Massimo Taibi, shouldn't we? The mm. Fabianski's howler. Flappianski, he's back. <laughs> Flappianski or Flippianski. Hey! <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I think it's one of those... It was a bad one, it, It's it? those unfortunate it's situations where you always end up talking about the mistakes a goalkeeper made. And Fabianski also made some world-class saves in that game. There was one from Salah yeah. that was going straight in the top corner that he managed to get a hand to, mm. which kept us in the game at that point. But so, if West Ham get relegated this season by a point, 
The fingers are going to go back to that game against Liverpool on the 24th of February where Fabianski let the ball through Let's talk about the 25 mistakes that Roberto made when he was in (laughs) net as the alternative. Well, goalkeeping might be the what cost West Ham the Premier League squad this season. Yeah, it could be. I mean... It's, would, it's would difficult Ru- to criticise Fabianski too much when he has had such a great season. The first goal he could have done better with, but he did all right to actually get a hand to that in the first place, I think. And the goal that went through his legs, yeah, I'd, it's I'd bad. have backed Roberto to save that. Well, when you look <laughs> at it again, it goes straight through Ogbonga's legs, who's standing two yards in front of Fabianski. Mm. And then just in his eye line, just running across him almost, is um, Firmino. So it's kind of that's enough for him to take his eyes off the ball. But it's a lesson for any wannabe goalkeepers out there, isn't it? You don't just get your hands behind the ball. You get your legs behind as well. You get your body behind. You do everything yeah. you can because sometimes it does slip through. And we've seen the best goalkeepers in this league, like the likes of um, Dean Henderson, who's had a brilliant season for Sheffield United. He's made mistakes like that this season. Against Liverpool, funnily enough, yeah, yeah. let the ball through yeah. his legs. Mm, so maybe conspiracy. a co- coincidence going on here. Um, for the first goal that West Ham conceded, I don't think, uh, and although Fabianski should have got a bit of a stronger hand to it, he ended up basically palming it back into the side net and into his own goal. But... I mean, it's a free header for Wijnaldum, really. Mm. Um, so you can kind of question the defending for West Ham in that situation. Uh, you could say, see by the look on Fabianski's face. I mean, it's a lonely... I mean, to get the cliche bell ready, it's the loneliest position on the pitch, isn't it? Because Hang on, is it a cliche bell or a pancake bell? Because <laughs> it's, it's getting confusing. It's both. <laughs> it's both. It's both. Just a lot of bells everywhere in this podcast. <laughs> <Say> that again. <laughs> <laughs> um, There's three yeah, in the studio here. Exa- exactly. So, yeah, it's one of those where... You kind of you, you can't help but look at Fabianski and think, oh well, if he didn't let the ball through his legs and if he didn't punch the ball into his own net, West Ham might have got something from the game. But like you say, Roberto was so poor earlier on in the season. It kind of, you know, as much of a muchness really. I mean, Fabianski's going to make a lot less mistakes than what Roberto made over those six games that he played. I think it's the lot of being a goalkeeper, isn't it? Yes. But credit yeah, where, oh, for sure. Credit yeah, where it's due. Liverpool it, did yeah. what they've done all season and they just carried on and they carried on. They were relentless and they never believed they weren't going to win that game Mm. and the run keeps on going and now they're four games away from lifting the Premier League title and it's February we're talking about them lifting the Premier League title in four games and it's February yeah it's insane it's March so it could have been March the 7th I think it's uh, more likely to be March the like the week after okay now um so it could be there's a strong chance it basically it's not cut and dry because it depends on the FA Cup games and stuff like that but it's looking like probably either Everton or Man City where they'll win the title which is just and if they win it at Everton they'll get presented with the trophy at Man City they'll, get a, guard, they'll get a guard, guard of, of honour they'll, they'll get a guard, guard of, of honour yeah okay. which I'm sure Man City will definitely give them that as well because they're not that type of club to to be petty and not do it um, speaking of Liverpool um, they said um, Klopp after the game he said the Champions League final against Tottenham helped a lot because they knew uh, they were able to win without playing well uh, about last night's game. Uh, it said, I said after, it was the worst final I played with the team, but we won. We learned in that season to do the right things again and again. You can't be brilliant all the time. Which rather sums up Liverpool last night. I don't think, as you mentioned before, Jim, there wasn't too many people who looked at West Ham at 2-1 up and thought, they're definitely going to win this game. Mm. It was, you're looking at Liverpool, you're sort of expecting them to score, because it's just what they've done all season, isn't it? They've just ground teams down and got goals from nowhere and they've done it again it's got three goals and they didn't play particularly well last night so and I think that's been the story of the season that everyone has said yeah. that last season Liverpool were actually more impressive than they have been this season in terms of some of the football that they've played on the pitch and the season before they haven't really battered anyone this year have they but Four, they've been five, clinical six. this season haven't they and yeah, they have yeah, had that yeah. never say die attitude and they mm. have just 
when they've needed goals, they've done whatever it is they do to get those goals. I think they've built up a fear factor, which, you know, I dare say it, Manchester United used to have, mm. where people used to think, even if you were leading in a game against Manchester United, there was the old famous Fergie time, you know, that kind of became a thing, where you knew that going into a game, if, if United were a goal down or level, going into the last five, ten minutes at Old Trafford, they were going to come back into yeah. the game. You just knew it was going to happen. And I feel that Liverpool have kind of built that sort of allure of their own in, in this season because of the success of the last two seasons, running it so close, two Champions League finals in a row, one they won. Now it looks like they're going to win the league. It looks like they might win maybe more than just the Premier League this season if they if they continue the way they're going in the FA Cup and possibly the Champions League too. So I just think that they've earned that kind of fear factor um, which we used to see from Manchester United. And we saw it from Manchester City at an extent as well. You just knew that even when Manchester City were huffing and puffing under Pep, they were always going to create mm. one more chance. There was always going to be one more opportunity. And when you've got quality on the pitch, the chances of it going in the back of the net are greatly increased. And I just think that now we've seen Manchester City kind of crack a little bit and we've seen teams go to the Etihad and beat them and we've seen them make it difficult for themselves. I mean, they've lost a few games this season, Man City, I think more than any season which Pep's been in charge of the club. Whereas Liverpool, they're just not losing games, not mm. drawing games, just winning everything. And I think that they've built that kind of um, sort of feeling around the club where when teams are in the lead against Liverpool, they panic. Yeah, They think, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, we're doing something amazing. This is going to be incredible. Instead of keeping their nerve and staying calm, they end up cracking and bottling it. So I think that's kind of um, a byproduct of Liverpool's success. I think Manchester United under Fergie is a great reference point as well because Fergie time was never actually a thing. No one believed that yeah. Alex Ferguson actually was influencing the officials to add time on to the end of the games. But I it wouldn't was, be sure about that. <laughs> but it was Manchester United's ability to keep on going, to keep on going. And yeah. when you got to that last five minutes or that four minutes of extra time and the opposition defence were suddenly hanging on and panicking, yeah. it was Manchester United that kept on going and were clinical. And that's exactly what Liverpool have done this season. They've kept on going, they've remained calm, they've kept their organisation, they've kept their shape and they've got those goals. And we saw for the, the, well, the third and the fourth that was ruled out goals for Liverpool last night the West Ham defence, all the organisation and all the... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Basically, another word for organisation. All the organisation <laughs> that was there structure. in the structure in the yeah. first half disappeared. And yeah. it was Diop that ran to the ball, did the old schoolboy football thing of, right, I'm going to have to... Getting attracted to the ball. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And it left the man free and that was a result of the goal. It was that kind of panicking, that kind of we need to hold on to this yeah. against Liverpool that, in fact, had the opposite effect and Liverpool were able to go on and score. I've seen a lot more of that recently as well. I saw it on Sunday in the Everton-Arsenal game at the Emirates where Arsenal started to run the ball into the corner. I thought, well, what? we're in February, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. It's like it was like the last couple of games of the season mm. where you know, you're desperate for points to stay up or whatnot. But it just goes to show how competitive the Premier League's been this year and how important points are at this stage of the season already. We're not really quite yet in the run-in. I personally feel that the run-in starts after Easter when you've got that kind of month or two of games yeah. uh, running down towards the end of the season. But Where the Premier League title will already be <laughs> wrapped up insanely. <laughs> exactly, but I mean, obviously there's lots of other sort of mini yeah. um, sort of battles. battles to look yeah. forward to there. Yeah, well, um, there's a, practically a Royal Rumble going on from yeah. uh, from 5th to 15th pretty much. Let me there, mention so. something that Jamie Carragher said after the game because oh, I wasn't geez. sure Go on. I wasn't sure I agreed with him and I thought actually maybe I do agree with him when he'd explained it a little bit more he said that Mo Salah was one of the most underrated players amongst Liverpool fans and his kind of point was out of the big five 
inverted commas at Liverpool. So Mane, Firmino, Van Dijk, Alisson, Salah. Salah would be the one that Liverpool fans would be quite happy to see go if they got an offer of 130 million quid or so for him. <laughs> but his point was he's more important than maybe he gets credit for. My first reaction was, surely not. Liverpool fans love Mo Salah. But I kind of see where he's coming from at the same time in that out of that front three, Salah would be the easiest to replace. So maybe he is underrated. No, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. If he was the easiest to replace, how can he be underrated? Maybe, it, maybe rightly underrated then. Because it's like, if he's easy to replace, it's like, <laughs> that's fine, we'll just get another one. That doesn't mean he's underrated. It means it is what it is. If, so he, he, if did... he was underrated, it would mean if he left, you wouldn't be able to replace him yeah. because nobody rated him as highly as you felt. So maybe, maybe he doesn't deserve the... Well, the praise then. Maybe he is judged at the right level. By let me fans. just say this. We spoke on yesterday's podcast about Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and he's on 49 Premier League goals in something like 72, 73 appearances. Correct me if I'm wrong. Sorry, anyone listening, uh, if I'm wrong there. But nobody since Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang landed in the Premier League has scored more goals than Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Mm. 49. The only person that's level with him is Salah on 49. And... Salah, obviously, that first season scored, what was it, like 30, 40 yeah. goals, something like that? Which I think yeah, is almost he's a victim of that first season to- because he can't quite live I- up to that again. He has been superb. I totally agree, but it goes to show how important Aubameyang's been to Arsenal, where he's mm-hmm. carried an average team uh, basically through his goals. And yet, you know, you see all the Liverpool fans in the comments when that stat gets posted saying, oh, but Salah's won this and Salah's won this and Salah's won this. It's like, yeah, he has, but... You know, it just goes to show that, I mean, that is a massive team unit at Liverpool. Mm. Um, And I do think that, you know, these players, as big as Liverpool, uh, as big as we say these Premier League clubs are, right? Manchester United fans will say they're the biggest club in the world. Liverpool fans now, with their recent success, will say they're the biggest club in the world. Chelsea, a huge club. Arsenal, Tottenham on the rise again. However, I still think, as good as we say this league is, it doesn't hold a candle to the attraction of Real Madrid and Barcelona. And I don't know why. Because Liverpool could go and win the next three Champions Leagues and three Premier Leagues and people would still rather move to Real Madrid than to Liverpool. It's a feeling, and that's no, I think, uh, that's no disrespect to Liverpool, but is that why we're seeing these Premier League players? Sterling came out and spoke about Real Madrid a couple of days ago. Lots of people linking Mo Salah to Real Madrid. and I think there's a romance associated to Barca with and both stuff of those like teams. That. And I just think... Yeah, but if you think about, think about the Premier League in terms of since it's been the Premier League, you've had... A lot of cycles of of dominant clubs. You had Man United. You had the Chelsea team in the mid two thousands. Liverpool uh, probably for the next couple of years, mm. and and sort of now. Then you had Chelsea in like two thousand eight and something like yeah. when Mourinho came back in and what have you. And, and then Man but, City as well. Yeah, yeah, and obviously, yeah. obviously City as well. Um, but in Spain, you've only ever had them two, so it's it's easier to probably maintain your history with when there's only two mm. clubs in Spain like the only Atletico have won uh, a La Liga title since I think 2000 I think Valencia won it in 2000 and since then it's been either Barca or Real so if you're looking at longevity there's only ever been two teams in 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 Spain whereas in England there's yeah there's only been sort of four or five that win titles however it could be any of them most seasons kind of thing if it that makes must sense be massively flattering as well because only the best of the best and martin braithwaite have played for barcelona and real madrid they're the only <laughs> players they've ever gone after so if someone comes on your door and goes hey barcelona quite fancy you how'd you fancy going to play in the new camp then that's going to be hugely flattering isn't it yeah yeah of course it is and i just think that's the interesting point because if most salary is going to go anywhere it's not just going to be from liverpool to 
I don't know, Chelsea, Chelsea, or yeah. is going to be to yeah. a top European club, mm. isn't it? So, I mean, the only two that can fit the bill, in my opinion, would be Barca or Real Madrid. So, yeah, we'll watch with intent, see what happens there. That'll be a situation to keep an eye on, especially if you're a Liverpool fan, not wanting him to go. Uh, but we're going to wrap up for the first half of this podcast at the minute. We're just going to take a quick break and we'll be back after this. Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab. Extra meat, extra protein. Try the GDK Gym Box. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. It's Marley, Jim and Niall in the studio. And if you want to hear more of Niall's voice, which obviously everybody does, <laughs> you can. and you've got an Alexa smart speaker, you can simply download the Alexa app that we've got. Just search Sport Social on the Amazon store and you can download the app and get the latest news from your Premier League team straight to your smart speaker by just asking Open Sport Social and play like Liverpool News or whoever you want. Don't leave a comment on Amazon as well saying this is this doesn't do anything other than Premier League teams, <laughs> which a lot of people do, even though we do advertise it. It is at the minute just for Premier League teams. <laughs> but there's people like there's no area division on this. It's like you none of us are Dutch. You wouldn't buy a can of beans and go, there's no peas, peas in it. In it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want my money back. Exactly. Uh, but that's there. Whenever you want it, it's dead easy. It's dead useful to uh, to get match reports, scores, highlights, everything to uh, everything to your smart speaker. But for now, we're going to move on because it's Tuesday. It's a Champions League week, and yes. we've got English interest tonight in a very uh, tasty-looking game. Because at Stamford Bridge, we've got Chelsea versus Bayern Munich, and Bayern have already been to London this uh, this season and absolutely torn a London team apart when they absolutely hammered Spurs seven-two uh, earlier in the uh, in the group stage, and they've basically got a come and do the same to Chelsea but Chelsea will be trying not to uh, to let them walk over them as they did their North London rivals because their young exciting team is about to get a real real test this is a, a huge European giant mm. coming for them and what do we think about tonight because I think this is a massive massive test for a young side isn't it I think it's exactly what those young players will want though when you're young and hungry like that and you're getting a taste of Fearless. Premier League football, yeah, you're going to want to test yourself against the best. And Bayern Munich are... That, that was a cliche, not a pancake, Bell. <laughs> and Bayern Munich are, despite the fact they're supposed to be in this crisis at the moment, aren't they? People say that Bayern Munich are in crisis, however much of a crisis you can be every when time you're Bayern, smashing it in the yeah. Champions League and top of the Bundesliga. Every time Bayern Munich aren't nine points clear of the yeah. Bundesliga, they're having a crisis. But they're still <laughs> very, very good. And <laughs> yeah. I think they, they are, are better than Chelsea. So I think it is going to be a real test for the Chelsea youngsters in this game. But I think Bayern Munich will have just too much for them. I like that we're calling this team like the Chelsea youngsters because I'm so used to hearing Chelsea pensioners. Yeah. <laughs> which, if, if you're listening to this podcast abroad, just Google Chelsea pensioners. I don't really get what they are, to be honest. But They're yeah. former soldiers who yeah. and basically wear the hats, they, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they turn up to games wearing kind of their full military um, parade outfits which are kind of these big red coats they're almost yeah. like cavalry sort of horse riding soldiers aren't they from, yeah. from yeah. the old school and chelsea's old badge actually used to be a picture of a chelsea pensioner which is unusual when you go back and have a look yeah go and have a google and have a look at chelsea's old crest it's well, quite quite funny actually um speaking of chelsea pensioners i think will will caballero be in that tonight yeah, possibly and he <laughs> actually made a very the good only save pensioner against, in there in a, very, a very good save against tottenham um you talk about 
pensioners, a lot of the players that um, played at Stamford Bridge, I think in 2004 or 2005, when these two teams played in the Champions League at the bridge, it finished 4-2 to Chelsea. Frank Lampard scored two goals and one of them was an unbelievable chest and volley. I don't know if you remember it. The ball came across um, and he kind of had his back to goal in the box and it kind of brushed off his chest and he sort of span and volleyed it with his left foot past Oliver Kahn into the top corner. And it was an amazing goal. Oliver, what a guy Oliver Kahn is. Oh, I'd love God. to invite him to a barbecue and give him a few beers. I've, oh, <laughs> he geez, would mad kick man. right off. But I've looked at some of the players in the two teams back in 2004, and it was just when Jose was getting Chelsea to kind of become a force. Drogba was kind of a new face. Damien Duff had been there and kind of done it with oh, other Damien clubs. Duff. Galas, Joe Cole obviously was a good player. Um, Glenn Johnson played right back. So, you know, Chelsea players in the Champions League this season... Uh, I've done all right. There's been a couple of scares. I mean, playing against Ajax was always going to be tough. I think they just about scraped through the group stages. But as Marley says, this is going to be the biggest test they've had so far. I think bigger than um, any of the Premier League games they've had this season. I really do. Uh, and, and they'll be confident by Munich knowing that they came to London last time and smashed seven past Spurs. who reached the Champions League final. So The, the Spurs game on the weekend with Chelsea, that'll give them confidence though, won't it? When Chelsea beat Spurs at the weekend. Do you think that'll... Uh, maybe. They, played, they played a weird back three in that game and it really worked. I mean, they kind of Giroud need, was up front. They needed a win, I think, Chelsea yeah. in that game. So I think it had been four until that point without a win. So they did need to beat Spurs and Spurs are very much there for the taking at the moment. They're finding it so difficult to score goals because they haven't got any fit strikers and Jose Mourinho obviously doesn't want to play the young Irish lad Parrot up front because he's young and he doesn't like young players. <laughs> so, I mean, Spurs were very much there for the taking. So how much confidence it will give them I'm not entirely sure. It's a massive test for them. I mean, Bayern Munich are so good going forward. Lewandowski has got one goal in every two games in the Bundesliga this season. He is getting better with every year that goes past, it seems, at the moment. And I think Chelsea might just struggle to contain them. I think up front it'll be really interesting to see how Chelsea handle it. Tammy Abraham came off the bench against Spurs. And whether he's fit or not, I don't know. But I thought Giroud had a brilliant game until that point. His mid-cup play was really good. Giroud was excellent. Made some really intelligent runs. And I think it would seem that Lampard hasn't trusted Giroud this season. But maybe that game was enough to kind of turn it round. And if Giroud does play up front, and he can get that young, fast, attacking midfield into into the game, then they might stand a chance of scoring a few, but it's going to be a case of can we score more goals than you, I think. The defence of Chelsea this year has concerned me. Mm. I mean, Zuma had a good season on loan at Everton last year and Everton were kind of hanging their hat on keeping him in the summer and it never happened. And he obviously went back to Chelsea and Chelsea sold Luis to Arsenal. So kind of he was the obvious choice, Zuma, to come back to the club and slot in there. And I think Zuma, by his standards that he set himself for last season, has actually had quite a poor season this year. And I don't know what it is, but the defence of Chelsea haven't quite been at it this year. Rudiger was injured for a bit. Mm. He's come back and he's made Chelsea look more assured at the back. Samori's dropped off a bit. Samori had a really good start to the season, hasn't quite continued that form into the second part of the campaign. Christensen, who has been pretty consistent over the last couple of years, hasn't really been great this year either. And when you look at the attacking lineup and a possible starting lineup of Bayern Munich, you've got names like Thiago, Coutinho, Gnabry, Lewandowski. Thomas Muller's pushing for a start as well. I probably I don't think he will start, but you know that he's a good player. Kingsley Coleman, Kingsley Coleman. Yeah, I've not even mentioned him. So you know they've got some unbelievable players. I mean, if you look at the names, Kimmich, Alaba, Hernandez. So they've just got some really, really good players at Bayern Munich, and I just worry 
about Chelsea's defending. And I think, you know, we've seen it in the Champions League this season. Was it against Ajax where they shelled a lot of goals as well? There was a lot of goals scored against them. Mm. Um, but they do know how to find the back of the net. And I think with experience like Giroud up front, I do think that can help them in a game like this. Um, we talk about Chelsea's young guns and Frank's young guns. Manchester United have a younger average Premier League starting eleven this season. That's going well. Than Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're what, are they three, four points off Chelsea? It's not going as badly as people are thinking. But, you know, yeah, Chelsea have got that blend of experience. Players like Willian will probably get a nod tonight. Um, Frank Lampard seems to like putting him in. Pedro might start. I mean, these players that are used to big European games might be the key tonight against Bayern Munich mm. rather than those young players like, I think, uh, Hudson, Odoi and Pulisic are, are out injured. But certainly players like Tamori, players like Mount and so on and so forth. I think that will be probably more of a key to play those experienced players instead of the youngsters. Well, we'll see that, how that one goes tonight. The young guns versus the established European powerhouse that is Bayern Munich. Uh, but we're going to stick with a European twist uh, just to finish off the podcast today because there's been some interesting quotes coming out of Italy and specifically Rome where Chris Smalling is uh, having an excellent season on loan at Roma from Manchester United. He's been talking about playing uh, in the England squad again. So we've got the uh, England internationals coming up in March, a couple of friendlies. Uh, and he's basically said um, that he's not given up on the chance to be in the England squad, which he hasn't been in for uh, about just over a year now, I think. Mm. Um, he's basically, here's the quote. He says, every cap that I've had, it, it's been a little bit of a gap since the last one. Uh, but every cap has been an amazing feeling. Whatever happens in March, we'll see, but I'll never give up. So basically, this seems like that classic sort of uh, story that comes out as if to say, don't forget about me mm. just because I'm abroad. Um, apparently, people from the England setup have been going out to Rome to, to watch his games. Um, that, that's a mint job, in it, at the <laughs> FA. Lads, do you want me to go to... Uh, oh, do, you want, do you need someone to go to Rome and see Smalling's <laughs> playing on Sunday and the Coliseum's up until 10, so you know, I'll, I'll go. It's all right, lads, I've got this one. Not with this coronavirus, Marley. Bloody oh, hell. Yeah. I'll be saying, no, you're <laughs> right, boys, someone else can go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's having a great season. Um, do we think he's back in the England squad? They haven't got a settled centre-back pairing, have they? So do we think there's a way back into the first team for uh, for Chris Smalling? It's always a chance, isn't there? I mean, I don't know a great deal about how Chris Smalling's been playing in Roma, I hear. He's doing well, but I yeah. can't confess to have seen a single second of Roma's football this season. But I think more importantly, it's what he does next. Because he's got a decision to make as to whether he comes back to Manchester United when the loan finishes or whether he stays in Italy where his career has had a bit of a resurrection. I mean, if Gareth Southgate is true to his word and he picks players based purely on form rather than reputation, you'd have to say he was in with a shout. But Gareth Southgate has proved himself not to be true to his word several times when selecting England squads in previous tournaments and previous uh, friendly periods. So I think it's probably a little bit of a stretch to imagine him getting back into the England fold at the moment. Yeah, I'd agree with you. And Serie A, as we know, is a totally different prospect to the Premier League. I mean, if you're going to test yourself as a defender, I think you're probably going to get more bang for your buck in the Premier League than you would in Serie A. I'm surprised that he's only got one yellow card in 20 league appearances this season for Roma, <clears throat> which is unusual for... Um, a defender, you think a centre-back would have more mm. fouls than that or more yellow card fouls than that. Suggest he hasn't had much to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's kind of been a, a consistent performer um, in terms of his performances for Roma, 7 out of 10 every week, it looks like here, sort of going across some of the some of the data we've got available to us online. Uh, and yeah, just aerially, he's very good in the air. He's a good, good, strong winner of headers. Um, Which is something that England could do with, actually. It is, it is. And... 
He's also good at kind of putting his body in the way and, and, and making sort of last ditch challenges and blocks. And, and I always seem to remember that about Smalling is sometimes you think, how has he blocked that? How has mm. he done that? And you used to think that about Phil Jones as well. Um, but that's what's made Virgil van Dijk so dominant for Liverpool is, is not only is he good with the ball at his feet, but in the air, anything that comes his way. It's just, you know, it's like heading a boulder or a cannonball back mm. across the halfway line. You know, you go bang, you know, big booming headers. Um, I think Smalling could be an option as a as a backup defender. I think maybe at this point in time, he's probably got more of a shout than John Stones. He's been re- John Stones is shot of confidence. He's made a couple of mistakes in the Nations League in England's last tournament, not a major tournament, obviously. And I think that the door is open for Smalling to get a call up. I wonder whether the type of player he is would stand in his way because Gareth Southgate likes these ball-playing defenders. And I think, I might be miles away with this, but my impression is that Chris Smalling's previous England call-ups have been largely because he is a bit of a utility defender almost. He can fill in in those full-back positions as well as centre-back. And I think the full-back role is probably very different now within the England team than it was when he got his previous call-ups. And you can't imagine Chris Smalling playing the role of that overlapping, attacking fullback now, can you? So he is purely a centre-back choice. And I'm not sure he's the type of centre-back that Gareth Southgate likes. Yeah, I think that's a fair comment. Um, uh, I just think, I do think he can play the ball out from the back. I think he can. Yeah, I, I think, think he, that's why if they... If you su- compare him to someone like James Tarkowski, for example, he would be in a similar sort of situation is to get into the squad he's got mm. more about him than, yeah. than him in terms of ball playing but and, do you, do you and he absolutely playing center backs anyway he absolutely loves trees because he's a vegan so <laughs> um but yeah chris smalling yeah they're obsessed with the vegan lifestyle over in rome the players um have kind of been all over it and the press have been all over it kind of asking him questions about his diet and what that means for how he trains and stuff like that and restaurants he has to go to so they're all kind of really intrigued in it over in roma so yeah i, I think they signed him from Fulham, I think, with a view to not replacing Ferdinand, but it was around the time that Rio Ferdinand was coming to an end. So there would have yeah. been some sort of cognitive thinking there, some continuity perhaps in bringing mm. Smalling into Manchester United at the time, knowing that he is able to play with the ball at his feet. I think he's a good defender. I think he's a good defender. I don't think he was the defender that Manchester United should have sent out on loan personally in the summer. And I mean, Keith I think I'd Jones. rather have got rid of Jones or Rocco. Mm. I think both of those are nowhere near of the level of Smalling. That's um, the thing though, like, but if you're selling someone, then you need a buyer and nobody wanted to buy Phil Jones. Like nobody went, nobody looked at Phil Jones and thought he's worth a loan. Like if, if Jones and Smalling were both available, you'd pick the better one, wouldn't you? So you go, you always go for Smalling. And then Rocco obviously wanted to go back to probably Portugal or South America really um, and he's ended up back in Argentina now so someone, it's, hard, it's hard to loan someone in the summer because their season's halfway through someone would have taken different. a chance on Phil Jones do you think he's got a touch of West Ham's for me yeah very much so <laughs> it would depend on the transfer fee that was being touted and it would depend on if it was a loan yeah. deal how much of the wages Manchester United would have wanted covered yeah. I guess and if we're talking I don't know what he's on at Manchester United but I he's guess like it was chunk, the best part of 80 grand yeah, maybe even more. So yeah, I mean that that's the that's the limiting issue there, isn't it? Yeah. Is whether a team like a West Ham or an Aston Villa, which yeah. is probably the kind of level we're looking at for Phil Jones, he probably has more than that in his locker, but he needs to rebuild his reputation in his career slightly, maybe. Uh, and whether they want to take a chance on a player like that for that level of investment, that's the question. Yeah, well, we'll see if uh, if Chris Mullen gets into the England team in March. It's in uh, the selection will be coming up in about. He won't. There we go. Answer. <laughs> job done. <laughs> in about two and a half, three weeks, we'll find out, and we'll uh, we'll 
get a link to this podcast so then when he does get in the team, we can rub it in Jim's face. To be fair, with my prediction uh, record, he probably will be first choice on the team oh, sheet now. Absolutely. Given how I've predicted most things this season. I think that could go so great for everyone on this podcast, to be honest. <laughs> Whatever we predict, the opposite happens. So if you're a betting man, just go exactly against what we uh, what we tell you. Uh, but that's it. That's it for today. That's Tuesday's podcast. Uh, done. Don't forget to subscribe so you get all the latest episodes every single day. The only place you can get daily Premier League podcasts, wherever you choose to listen to your podcasts, that's Spotify, iTunes. So you can hear us making bad predictions and slagging off West Ham <laughs> on an almost daily basis. But join us again tomorrow. We'll have another edition of Football Social Daily. We'll probably be going through whatever happened in Chelsea versus Bayern and whatever else is in the headlines. So we'll see you then. City tomorrow. Yep, we will. We'll be previewing that as well. Join us then for tomorrow's podcast. Football Social Daily with German gourmet doner kebabs made with our signature sauces. Step into the world of power, loyalty and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.